The following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. We are continuing our series we've been in for the last several weeks on renewal. Um, We began the series kind of looking at personal renewal. Uh, What does it mean to be known by Jesus and to know him well in a deep, intimate way? And one of the things that we said was that our personal relationship with Jesus ought to be one where we're constantly growing in self-awareness, so understanding Not just that I do certain things, but why I do certain things. And then we looked at emotional health, um, understanding the way I relate to others, why I feel the way I do. We then moved into talking about Sabbath rest. And from then on until now, we've kind of been hitting on several different markers of healthy Christian community. Um, One of them is rest. Um, We want to become a people at Central Bible that take resting in Jesus seriously, that know how to pause and be with him, not just take a break from things and, and zone out on Netflix, right, but that actually know how to experience his presence and to let that fill us, that we become a people who look forward to the Sabbath, that it becomes the highlight of our week for us and our children and our families. We also talked about gathering around the table, just Christian community, the value of table fellowship. There's something beautiful about eating and drinking together. It's something that happens, it forms us and shapes us and bonds us as a people. And then last week, Oshawa talked about true friendship, that Christian friendship, um, one of the markers of healthy friendship in the Christian community is that they aren't afraid to affirm one another in their gifts. They're not afraid to offer compliments. Not not just saying nice things to be nice, but to really affirm and to encourage and to build one another up. And so this morning, we're continuing in that conversation. The slides are not up yet. Are they coming, Tucker? Um... We're continuing that conversation by looking at the topic of forgiveness. We want to become a people who are known for for, for being extremely good at offering and extending forgiveness to one another. We want to be people who forgive as Christ has forgiven us. So, if Central Bible Church is going to be committed to bringing the life-giving, life-changing kingdom of God to Portland, as it is in heaven, these are some of the ways that our community will look. We will be a people who are close. People will describe our intimacy with one another like that of a tight-knit family. We will invite each other into our interior lives, not just the surfacey relationships that we can have on a Sunday morning. If we're going to be described as a family of believers who are intimate and vulnerable and willing to risk hurting one another and being hurt, 
in order to be known, we will find ourselves in conflicts with one another. It is unavoidable. Let me ask a question this way. Are you aware of even one family that is described as being tight-knit, intimate, and vulnerable who doesn't experience regular conflict? Does that family exist? Some of you are like, there are families that are tight-knit and vulnerable and intimate. There are. They're rare. In those families, are they just free of all conflict? Is that the marker? That there is no conflict? Is that what makes them healthy? I don't think so. What I'm talking about is rare, for sure. But relational intimacy and vulnerability are non-negotiable in God's kingdom. Does that mean that there's never conflict? No. Regular conflict is healthy. If you told me that you had an incredible marriage because you never fought and you never really needed to forgive one another because there wasn't ever an offense to forgive, I would look at you slightly sideways. I would not describe your marriage as a beacon of health. I'd ask you, do you know your spouse? Like, do you really know them? Are you actually known by them? I think if you were truly healthy, you'd know your inner selves and there would definitely be some conflict. Conflict is not the marker of, a healthy, uh, of an unhealthy relationship or a people. You can have conflicts with others and be filled with bitterness, uh, anger, and a hard heart. So as we become a renewed people who are tight-knit, intimate, and vulnerable with one another... We are, we are going to hurt each other. That is just the reality. It's not something we can avoid. That's an uncomfortable reality to step into, isn't it? You mean I should expect to be hurt? That I'm even going to hurt someone else in this community? Yes. The sooner that you accept that being in community where you're actually known, because you can be in community where you're not really known and this won't happen, But when you're really known by other people, the sooner that you accept that being in community means that you'll be known, it also means that you accept that there's going to be pain and difficulty. The sooner you do that, the sooner you'll be able to cultivate a community that knows how to deal with conflict in a healthy way and that can forgive. So there's a difference, right, between oughts and ises in this life. Ought there be conflict in Christian community? between two Christians that love Jesus, that that value forgiveness, that are humble, should there be any conflict? Probably not, right? Is there going to be conflict? Yes, there is. The only way there's not going to be conflict is if each person is continually, continually operating out of a place of extreme humility. Basically having already arrived at a state of Christ-likeness and perfection. None of us are there yet. And since none of us have arrived, we're all in process of becoming more like Jesus. We cannot escape the reality that just by you or me being involved in the community, we necessarily make it more likely to have conflict, not less. And I think that's important for us to remind ourselves of. So therefore, the practice of forgiveness 
is a necessary marker of a healthy community. If conflict is unavoidable, if we're going to really be known and open ourselves up to one another to see the best and the worst of ourselves, conflict is unavoidable, and therefore forgiveness is a necessary marker of a healthy community. We need to understand then what forgiveness is, why we ought to forgive, how do we do it well, when do we forgive, what does it look like. Forgiveness is one of those concepts in the church that's it's almost assumed because it's so ingrained in Christian culture, but it's really easy to do forgiveness poorly, if at all. And so with that, I want you to join me in welcoming up Michael McKinster. Michael is a uh, licensed counselor. He's been practicing counseling for a little while, just uh, 26 years. 26, 26 years. Not, not that long. Yeah. Um, and so this morning, I thought, you know, I might have some things to say about forgiveness. And so we're going to spend some time talking together about what forgiveness looks like. So first, you and I spoke. Uh-huh. Forgiveness yep. particularly in your job is um, something that really excites you and motivates you. Why are you so passionate about it? You know, working with couples particularly, but families as well, um, I've seen how powerful forgiveness is in healing and allowing people to reconcile. I've seen that uh, when there's deep hurt in families, and there usually is, uh, that without forgiveness, moving toward reconciliation is next to impossible. And I've seen the power of marriages that should have fallen apart, but because they were willing to forgive and, and to work on the relationship, there's healing. And, and, and in families as well, uh, it, it's one of the most powerful things in my mind that, that Jesus allows us to participate in mm. is that process. And, and I found that um, I needed to make it real because a lot of people did not know how to do it. Mm. Um, okay, so first question, basic. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a choice you make. It's an ongoing act uh, to forego judgment and punishment against the person who has done wrong to you. Um, I, I like to say it's letting go of my right to have it made right. Mm-hmm. And the reason we can do this is that uh, Jesus is a perfect judge. And we can trust that if we give things to Jesus, that he will judge correctly in the same way that we are judged. Um, And it it, it lets go of my demand for vengeance or justice. Um, And it's also respecting and loving someone who has harmed me. And uh, it's really difficult and we need Christ to do that. Um, it, It gets us to the point where we can give the offending party, the benefit of the doubt. And I like to say that, uh, and, and I say this about a lot of things, that forgiveness is a skill that you need to practice and you will get better at as you practice it. It's something where you uh, make a choice that will eventually change your emotions, but at the time it may not. Hmm, that's good. What is, so what is forgiveness not then? It's important to know, I found in my practice that uh, apologies um, don't work for deep hurt. Hmm. I'm sorry, um, it's, it's too shallow for most people. I'm sorry is often about what the person who offended you 
they feel regret and remorse, but it, there's no, not any um, responsibility necessarily in I'm sorry uh, for the thing done. Mm -hmm. and, and it's also too much like what we were all forced to do as kids, go say sorry to your, or go say sorry to your sister or your mother. And it, it's forced, it's, it's like checking a box. Mm -hmm. And I found um, that we need something much deeper it's, it is not wrong to be regretful for what you've done. Do not hear me saying that, but that, that's not what forgiveness is. Um, and also, um, it's, forgiveness is not saying that what happened didn't matter. Um, it does matter, or you wouldn't be hurt. Mm -hmm. and, and then when you forgive, you also need to remember that your feelings may take a while. Um, you were wounded, and different wounds, depending on how deep they are, take Longer and shorter to heal, depending. Yeah. Um, why do we need to forgive? I think as a Christian, the first most important thing is forgiveness is not optional. It is a command. And uh, God says forgive. He also says you forgive and you'll be forgiven. Um, second is you're blessed when you forgive. It, I like to say, and I stole this from somebody somewhere, not forgiving people is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. You, you hang on. <laughs> and and what we forgive because we're forgiven, because God commands it. And then when you don't forgive, you put yourself in the position of judge. And... and uh, is not a position that we do well in. It, it's a position that's for God. So you put yourself up in God's position, being the judge of another person, mm -hmm. and you risk a lot of arrogance in that spot. And then, and then, especially in counseling, what I found is without forgiveness, intimacy is not possible. In marriages, the marriage cannot heal because that issue will always be between the two, um, the two parties. That's good. One of the things you said to me when we were talking about this was that there was, there's only one person who has the freedom to keep score, and he chose not to. Yeah. <laughs> I tell, I'll tell people, only Jesus has the right to keep score, and, and he chooses not to. Um, and so if Jesus chooses not to, there is our model. Uh, it's hard. The flesh really, really mm -hmm. likes keeping score. Um, talk about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Because I think sometimes we get those things confused and they're kind of... Yeah, I think reconciliation is the highest goal when there's been harm between uh, friends or coworkers or families or couples. Uh, forgiveness is the necessary first step. And it only takes one person to do forgiveness. But reconciliation takes both parties being willing to forgive and then work on re-earning trust and... Uh, and earning a, and developing intimacy and practicing skills of being better at being together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things you said was that reconciliation is the act of rebuilding trust over time. Yes. Um, I, I just love that. I think that's yeah. super helpful um, because I think it's easy to feel like once I've been forgiven, trust is just immediately restored. Um, no, and... and what happens is when you forgive, um, that, that it's like a, a house that was wrecked by a tornado. Forgiveness is like clearing it to the foundation. Mm. The house can be rebuilt, 
but it takes effort and work. And it's the same with rec reconciliation. It takes effort and work. But if you don't clear to the foundation, it, you, you won't get a very, uh, very healthy home. So, yeah. yeah. Um, what does, so you've got the person who's been offended, mm -hmm. right? The, right? The person who's been hurt, and you've got the offender. Right. What, it, as they go through the process of forgiving in a, in a healthy way, what does it look like for the role of the offended party? What does their role look like in that process of, of extending forgiveness? One of the main things that you need to remember when you forgive is you, you give up the right to ever bring it up again. Um, this is not one of those things where you bury the hatchet and then you <laughs> put one of those landscape flags right over the top of it so you can go back and get it when you need it later. Um, you, you give up the right to talk about it. Mm. Jesus does not bring up your old sin and beat you over the head with it. Mm -hmm. And so you need to give up that right. Mm. Um, you risk being harmed again when you forgive people. Because some people, um, we always hope that people will appreciate and understand um, the gift that I'm giving you when I forgive you. But some people won't. And some people will, but they'll still be broken and harm you again. Um, but this is, uh, this is what Christ commands. And, and I think, I, I know me, without Christ's help, there's no way. But I'm willing to risk knowing that my self-esteem is not in how this person treats me, but that Jesus knows who I am and loves me anyway. Yeah, one of the things that happened recently, um, I was uh, in Hawaii for vacation with my family. And um, never thought I'd get to vacation in Hawaii, but got to do it, which was amazing. And um, uh, I had a uh, conflict or a, I got, I got angry. I got really angry um, at uh, a friend of mine. And um, I didn't treat him well. Um, I talked to him on the phone. He was, um, yeah, I just didn't feel like he was, he was doing uh, a good job with uh, the business. And I, I got just completely unreasonable in my anger. And, you know, I'm thankful that we had time uh, to come back before we, we met up, that we didn't get to meet and talk about that conversation the next day, because that time was really helpful. Um, but when we got together, um, one of the things that I had, you know, I had to say to him was, I'm, I'm deeply sorry for the way that I hurt you. Um, I should never talk to you like that. Um, will you forgive me? Um, and he knew that in that process, he was agreeing to being hurt again, potentially. And I told him, I don't ever want to hurt you like that again. Um, I, don't want to, I don't want to be angry like that. But the reality is that the, the alternative, um, if he's not interested, is backing out of the relationship, right? And so you, you sever that intimacy. And so moving forward in forgiveness means that you are, you are allowing the other person um, to engage with you at the same intimate level that you were prior, um, not holding that, that offense against them, um, but understanding that they could wrong you again. And for many of us, um, especially if it's, a, if it's a pattern behavior that we struggle with, um, we're gonna wrong somebody again, probably in a similar way. And so to be honest about that, but to fight hard and to process that in community and ask other people to help you become more like Jesus, to surrender that area of hurt 
uh, to Jesus is really helpful. Yeah, we have to remember that we're broken people in relationship with broken people, and broken people hurt each other. Yeah. What's the role of the offender in seeking forgiveness? Um, one of the, the biggest mistakes I see people make when they ask forgiveness is they want to explain why they did what they did. But if you just take a minute and think about that, explanations for bad behavior always sound stupid and lame. <laughs> there's, there's just no exception. It feels like a justification. Um, it is important in your own mind and maybe with another good friend to find out what about me did that. Mm. But when you're asking someone's forgiveness, don't explain. It's important that you just take, take responsible. I did that. And it's not only important that you take responsibility for your behavior, but mm. take responsibility for all the downstream stuff that happened mm -hmm. because of what you did. Mm. Uh, you may have tipped over a domino and so every domino down the line that, you tip, it, that was tipped over by the first one, you're also responsible for. So mm. take, take responsibility. If there's something that can be repaired, repair it. Mm. Some things are heart matters you can't fix other than with time and good behavior. But if there's something you, if you, if you can repair a piece of property, if you can make up the time somebody lost, absolutely you need to make sure you offer to do all those things mm -hmm. and do them. And when you, when you admit you were wrong, you risk that that person will find the hatchet and dig it up. And again, that's part of the humility that we're supposed to have as we walk with Jesus. And then the last thing is, don't assume, with big offenses, don't assume that they will trust you. Give them the time to heal and uh, to get a breath. With small things, most people, they just need to hear that you own it. There are some things that really stop us in our tracks, and mm -hmm. we need to give people time to process through things and work on it. Yeah, it's not reasonable to demand that they trust you again. Um, why don't we forgive? Why don't, or why don't we ask for forgiveness? I, what I've found is people don't know how. Um, we are taught as a culture how to say I'm sorry, which I already talked about is a different thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Um, I think that's one of the reasons uh, we're afraid. We're afraid of being exposed if we're asking for forgiveness. We're afraid of giving forgiveness because we don't want to be hurt again, and so we wrap ourselves in bitterness as a cloak to defend ourselves. Mm. Uh, sinfully, sometimes we say in our heart, that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And uh, I, I've never felt that myself. <laughs> When you, it is funny and comical when you think about it. Of course we have. Yeah. Our flesh, we, we need to wrestle with our flesh. It's also difficult. I've noticed a difference in people that, that I've seen in counseling that have a deep faith in Jesus and understand the depth of their own sin and, and the grace that God has given. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you haven't accepted God's grace and forgiveness, then it's hard to have a place to reach down and look at the, where the model emotionally is there. Mm. Um, and so, um, and, th and I think another thing that gets people is perfectionism. Either if you're a perfectionist, um, it's, perfectionism is a form of self-idolatry that I can, by my good behavior, um, be good enough. Mm. And so we get real wrapped up into my intentions were good, so therefore I didn't sin, or I didn't mean to, therefore I didn't do it wrong. Uh, 
we, it's the same thing we all need to do. Is it doesn't matter uh, how much you want to be good. You, if you offended somebody, if you sinned against them, if you were immoral or unskillful in the way you treated them, mm -hmm. um, you need to let go of your perfectionism and ask forgiveness. And you also need to forgive people and make yourself vulnerable. And uh, because if not, your, your bitterness will eat you up. Mm -hmm. So what happens, what, what, what are the positives when we forgive? What do we gain? I think um, forgiveness is a covenant. And um, we participate in the same way when I married my wife. Um, you make a promise that you'll never bring that up and hold that against them. And so, and we follow Christ's example. And whenever we press into Jesus, he draws us into a deeper life. Um, we take ourselves out of the position of judge. I love the story of the woman caught in adultery, uh, almost certainly a prostitute, almost certainly totally guilty. Um, and when Jesus says, anyone without sin should throw the first stone, mm -hmm. the oldest one's left first. Mm. And hopefully by being older, we've learned that your own sin has been forgiven, it, that it is not good to hold on to that. Mm. That economy is not Jesus' economy. Mm -hmm. And I think we, the, the thing I found mostly, and actually in my own marriage as well as the marriages um, that I've counseled, is w when you forgive, you make space for the relationship to be repaired and you remove space that bitterness would otherwise grow in. Um. What are the consequences? What do we stand to lose if we're not willing to forgive? If you don't do a process of forgiveness, then whoever the person is that you're, you have unforgiveness, either you need to ask theirs or they need to ask yours or both, it becomes, it becomes the elephant in the room in the relationship. And it, it, it may be that it's somebody at work and at a business meeting or whatever. You can get along and be nice. But whenever there's tension of any sort, you tend to start looking at that person through the lens of bitterness and judgment mm. or fear of condemnation. And it just, it, it inserts itself into the relationship more or less constantly. And you're tempted to see your spouse as the enemy or the persecutor. Mm. That's good. Um, one, of the, one of the things that you've said about withholding forgiveness, unforgiveness is like putting a one-pound rock in your backpack every year of your life. When you're 30, it's not too bad carrying around that weight. Plus, you're so young, you can handle it. And you're better at hiding your resentment because you're not so weighed down yet. But at 60 or 70 years old, you're carrying around way more weight, and it is extremely apparent to everyone around you. For unforgiveness leads to bitterness, and that changes how we are known and how we relate to other people. So, what if someone says they don't deserve to be forgiven? I like this question because I say you're right. Neither did you. Okay? We forgive because, um, not because people deserve it, but because it's the right thing to do. It was done for us. We mm -hmm. don't forgive people and we aren't forgiven because we deserve it. We are not in that economy. We're in the economy that grace is offered first. Yeah, forgiveness exists because we don't deserve to be forgiven. Yes. Jesus uh, said, forgive 70 times 7. 
That sounds like a lot. What is he? What is he? What is he getting at? I think he's using hyperbole to make a point. Uh, I think again, Jesus doesn't want us to keep score. If you're a scorekeeper uh, in your marriage or with your friends or at your job, you you tend toward bitterness. Hmm. You tend towards seeing other people as unsafe, and you either withdraw or throw darts. Hmm. Um, and love doesn't wait to do the right thing. It, it, it frees you. If you're keeping score, you're bound. You're bound to that, that interaction that was difficult and painful for you. Um, and it, it, it gets in the way of, of pressing on and getting deeper in the relationship. All right. So, should I forgive someone who offended me because they disagreed with me or they held a different perspective? Do I need to forgive someone like that or ask them for my forgiveness? If they've disagreed with me and I, I didn't like that and I was offended. And yeah, one of the rules I have as I do counseling with relationships is everyone has the right to their own feelings and their own opinions. Okay, you don't have to ask forgiveness for having a different opinion. Um, forgiveness is based on behavior. Sometimes attitude, but be careful with that. It's pretty subjective. And the last thing you want to do is mind read somebody else's attitude. Mm. Um, the other thing is, is sometimes people get very, very offended because you spoke truth to them. And you look at how the Pharisees reacted when Jesus pointed out the heart of their behavior versus we were talking about the David and Nathan story mm -hmm. where when Nathan confronts David with his sin with Bathsheba and killing Uriah, mm -hmm. David's reaction was the one we want to have. He, he's going on and on about that guy that stole the sheep should be killed. And then David says, you're the man. A lot of us would say, well, that's not fair. You, you know, you're, you're offending me. But David's answer instead was, God, forgive me. That, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm a sinner. And then you read the 53rd Psalm, and that's all about the right reaction to difficult truth. Sometimes our friends are our best friends because they will tell us painful truth. Mm -hmm. I remember a I have a daughter that was very hard to raise. I'm not the one you guys know. I have another daughter who was very hard to raise, and I have a very good friend, Mark, who we would meet, and we still meet, every two weeks, and we pray for each other to talk. We also talk about fishing, truth be told. Um, but uh, we talk a lot about how to raise our kids well. And Mark, just one time, he's great. He said, Michael, your anger is not going to solve your problem. I was like, but since he's a good enough friend, I had a choice to be offended and shut down, which usually my reaction would be get quiet mm. and then not share as much. But instead, um, I, I thought for a minute and I thought, Mark, that really hurt, but I needed to hear it. Yeah, I think that's why we started the series with self-awareness and emotional health. If you don't understand yourself, you're not going to be able to receive anything from anyone else. You're going to take every, whether it's truth or an actual, an actual offense, it, it, all of it will be perceived as offensive. And you won't be able to, you won't know, oh, this is, this, this person is for me. They love me. They're saying a hard thing. That's different than me needing to forgive them for offending me and actually hurting me. Them saying a hard thing is for my good. It stinks. I don't like the way it feels. But the self-awareness to be able to gauge that is super important and opening yourselves up 
to other people in community and saying, hey, um, especially if you find yourself, if, you would, if you're self-aware enough to say, I think that I'm easily offended, right? If you can say that honestly, then one of the best things you can do is open yourself up to other people in community and say, I recognize this about myself. I know that I'm probably not the best barometer of offense when someone says a hard thing to me. And so if you find me overreacting or getting upset in a way that's unreasonable, would you just gently say, hey, it's happening again. Let's take a breath. Let's think about it. Let's pray. That's, that's how we change. That's how God uses the community to grow us more into his likeness. Yeah, the rule of thumb that I teach is the truth is never the problem. Mm. And we base whether we're offended on behavior that is either very unskillful or sinful. Mm. And if it's just something I'm uncomfortable with, like you said, mm -hmm. you need to stop and ask yourself, is what they said true about me? Mm -hmm. Or are they entitled to a different opinion than mine? Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know what I wish we had? I wish we had like a half sheet that had like, could lay out kind of what forgiveness would look like with someone else, like a, a process step by step. Does something like that exist? Something like that exists. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Chris uh, made copies of that. They should be available in the back. Yeah. On the way out. And I will, there she is over in the library. Or, or is that Sandy? I think it's Sandy. They're available. I will be back there. If people have questions, um, and I'd be happy. I'm passionate about the difference that learning skillfully to forgive uh, can do. I, I thought of a saying that I hadn't told you that, uh, that really helped me, and it's a saying uh, from an author I really like, and it's, pain is inevitable, misery is optional. Mm. That's good. If you learn to forgive, you can endure the pain, but you don't have to be miserable. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you take a bath in it and keep score, bitterness and misery is not far behind. That's good. You guys thankful for Michael and his wisdom? Let's thank him. Thanks, Michael. So there are, there are tons of commands in the scriptures, as Michael said. Um, reminding us to forgive, to forgive in the same way that Jesus has forgiven us. Uh, Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has also forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It's almost like God knew we were going to have to forgive each other. Jesus says in Matthew 6, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The kingdom of God is filled with Christians who are committed to apprenticing Jesus in every area of life. Finances, sex, vocation, relationships, marriage, parenting, community, friendship. All areas of life 
are continually being put under the lordship of Jesus. Now, when you get a bunch of people together who are interested in doing that and living that kind of way, we, you get a church. That's what the church is. And the mission of the church is to be so radically shaped into Christ-likeness that God's kingdom begins to be experienced by the people in the community and by the world. Now, that's true. It's really nice and it's easy to hear that stated out loud, right? It's easy to hear that and think, amen, that's, that's, that's what this church needs, that's what the world needs, we need the kingdom of God. Here's the problem, it's not that easy. It's not easy to live like that. You think about just the area of finances. You know, it's crazy. You get a group of guys together, they'll hold each other accountable to looking at pornography, right? Something that is a very intimate, deep issue. How many of us get together and talk about our checkbooks? And how we spend our money. How generous we are. It's not easy. To submit every area of our life unto the lordship of Jesus is not something that we can do on our own. Christians are not islands to themselves. It's just me and Jesus figuring this thing out. We have to open ourselves up to one another. And so I'm going to invite others into my inner life to help me surrender my money to Jesus. I'm going to seek wisdom from those in the community that are good stewards with their finances. I'm going to ask them to help me with my budget and hold me accountable to that budget. This is just one example, right? We hear, yes, this world and this church needs to experience the kingdom of God. Amen and hallelujah. Are you willing to go there to make it happen, though? That's the question. Are we going to become that kind of people that are going to take seriously embodying God's kingdom in Portland as it is in heaven? And if we are, we're not going to be able to do it by ourselves. None of us are going to be the best barometer for how well I spend my money, how well I take care of my wife and my marriage, how well I submit to my leadership how well I do in my vocation. I need the input of others. And I need to open myself up to their input. And the more and more that you're vulnerable and you're open about your baggage, because we all have it, and if you don't think you, you don't have it, then I'm sorry, but you do. I'm offended. There. <laughs> Be offended. I won't ask for your forgiveness. The more that you open yourself up in that way and you start to talk about areas of your life that are really difficult, here's what happens sometimes. Uh, people who aren't used to that kind of vulnerability, because they feel uncomfortable about your vulnerability, they, they may respond in a way that's painful to you. They may judge you. And you might feel that judgment. And it's not because they actually think they're better. It's because they don't know what to do with your openness right now. And so they, they'll judge, right? Are you going to be hurt by other people 
in opening yourself up in this way? Absolutely. Forgiveness. Let's be a people who are marked by it, who are known to forgive one another. It's as if God knew his people were going, if they were going to be kingdom people, they would risk hurt and being hurt because the cost of being known by others in order to become like Jesus is worth it. But the only way it happens is if we open ourselves up and surrender each area of our life to Jesus. You don't have to take it all on at once, but you can't do it alone. You've got to do it together. What do we stand to become if we never risk getting hurt, if we're unwilling to forgive? I want to remind you of the C.S. Lewis quote that Osh shared with us last week. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Let's be a community who are marked by real, deep forgiveness. Pray with me. Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for your grace to us, Jesus, that you you gave yourself so that each person in this room might know deep forgiveness. You gave yourself in unbelievably difficult ways, not only making yourself known and vulnerable, but vulnerable to the point of being wrongly accused, mistreated, hurt, slandered, spit on, yelled at, and killed. That's what it took to bring us the sweetness of being forgiven. And Jesus, the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that your kingdom has to offer the hurting world, this broken world, is true, deep forgiveness. And we want to be a people who are marked by that, God. So I pray that you would help us to become those kinds of people. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion now, and I want to read a section of scripture, and I, I didn't go very deep into the forgiveness of Christ on the cross in the sermon, and the part of the reason is because there's, there's a special day coming up in a few weeks. It's called Easter. So come back for that, for that service, because you'll hear a lot more. But I want to read this passage out of Luke uh, 23 in the crucifixion story. But they all cried together, away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed the crowd once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. 
A third time Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one, of, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the, to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, he's the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. This is my favorite part of the story. But the other criminal looked at him and said, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, who had been beaten and mocked, spit on, jeered, even in that moment on the cross that he's taking on our sin so that you and I might find forgiveness, looks over at this sinner next to him and says, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That kind of stuff changes the world. That's what we have on offer, both to receive at the communion table this morning. That's why we celebrate communion every single week, to remind ourselves of what Christ has offered us, that no matter how much baggage, how much brokenness, Forgiveness is real, and it's deep, and it's lasting. And we get to offer that to both one another and to those outside of our church. And that is how the world 
become like his kingdom. We desire to be formed by the word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.